Good morning. How are you? Man, I don't know where you'd go to hear better music than you've heard in this house here today. I've got goodness. I'm still in the key. Not for long, but I'm still in the key. Wonderful, wonderful song. We are blessed at Bethesda, folks. We are blessed. Week before last, I was in another city involved in um, conversation with a pastor and his wife about some of the great gospel songwriters of our lifetime and our, our era, I guess you would say. And one by one, we were mentioning the various names of songwriters that had impacted us and all the ones came up that you would probably also come up with. Uh, and as soon as one of us would mention a name, then another one would start singing or humming or mentioning a song title that came from that writer. Well, when you're listening, listing, uh, great gospel songwriters of this era, it doesn't take long to come to the name of Andre Crouch. I knew there'd be a little bit of a roar to that. To this day, the church, including this one, is still singing his songs on a regular basis. You probably know titles like Bless the Lord, O My Soul, still a regular here. Or he called it my tribute, we often call it To God Be the Glory. Um, I happened to look late last night and a very popular, young, popular Christian singer had done a new recording of To God Be the Glory. Uh, I thought it's amazing. His, his songs seem to be time, timeless. How about Soon and Very Soon, Going to See the King? We Are Not Ashamed, this choir sings it. Let the church say amen. Through it all, the blood will never lose its power. And the list goes on and on. What a, what a gift. What a treasure Andre was to the church of the living Lord Jesus. And if you keep listing Andre's songs, you eventually come to one that is a personal favorite of mine, and that song is called Take Me Back. The lyrics go something like this. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, where I first believed. The idea is that in our Christian journey, it's easy to wander. It's easy to become derailed. Uh, another hymn writer said it this way, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But Andre's expression was, take me back. Now, um, I happen to know uh, that Andre Crouch received criticism for that tune, Take Me Back, because there were some folks in the church who were quick to say, no, 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 in God we're always going forward. We go forward. We don't go backwards. I thought we were called from glory to glory, from grace to grace, and from revelation to... Re and while that's all certainly true, Andre seemed to have a firm grasp on the reality of the human condition. He seemed to know us well. He seemed to also understand that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. But tucked away in one of the verses of his song, Take Me Back, Andre very carefully and very discreetly gives the believer the path to return if they have fallen. When he says this, he says this in that song, I must confess, Lord, I have been blessed but yet my soul is not satisfied. Renew my faith, 
restore my joy and dry my weeping eyes. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. How many know this song? Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, where I first believed. There's another man much closer to us who regularly and faithfully gave us another phrase on this same idea. And his phrase was filled with great, great hope. In fact, he infused this phrase within us and he wrote it on the walls of our heart as a church. He said this, failure is not final in grace. Failure is not fatal in God. Does anybody remember that? Well, that man was my beloved predecessor, Pastor Desmond Evans. He was a senior pastor of this church by the assignment of heaven and by the uh, office to which he was elected, but he was my pastor by the position he held within my heart. I honored, revered, and referred to him as my pastor then, as even as I do now. And I'm sure there'll be no argument in this room that God placed him in our lives and God gave him to us as a treasure. Yeah, that's fine. I would think it's an appropriate place to do that. Pastor Des was faithful to the word of God, faithful to deliver the word of the Lord with great integrity, and I, for one, will be forever grateful. It was something about the coming together in my mind this week of two great men and two great thoughts. Failure is not final, therefore, God, take me back. There was something about the, uh, those two thoughts coming together that, uh, that were significant to me as I was strolling through the 13th chapter of Genesis. I want to speak this morning most specifically to those who have fallen. If you've never fallen, if you've never uh, made a mistake, have I got everybody now? If everything has always gone swimmingly well for you, then you don't really have to pay attention. I would appreciate it if you'd stay off of Facebook and stay off your phone. But most specifically, we're speaking to those who are fallen. Whether your situation is known or whether you have it well hidden within the recesses of your own heart. I'm speaking to those who have made mistakes, large or small. But somehow, as a result, your relationship with Christ, as a result of the mistakes you've made, your relationship with Christ has become dull or faded, to say the least. But so, to all the rest of you holy people and the sanctimonious people, I'm going to ask you to listen as well, because there may actually be something from the Word of the Lord for you this morning. Can I get an amen? amen. So turn in your Bibles to the very first book, the book of Genesis. And let's go to chapter 13. I'm going to have you stand with me for the reading of God's Word from the first just four verses. Everyone standing, please. Balcony, you too. Chap Genesis chapter 13. Everyone standing. Before we read, let me set this up. The previous chapter 12 tells us that God had made a promise to Abram. God told him to leave his native country, his relatives, his father's family, and to go to Canaan. For there in Canaan, God was going to bless him. He was going to make him a great and mighty nation, and he would be a blessing to others. 
God promised he would bless those who blessed him and he would curse those who cursed Abram. And so it was a great plan, terrific plan. But things got derailed for Abram later in chapter 12 when he took matters into his own hands and when he left Canaan due to a famine that, was, that took place and due to uh, not trusting God. And he ends up in Egypt where he and his wife Sarai and his family live as foreigners. And they stayed there for some period of time. But the text that I'm going to have you read to me here is from the next chapter, chapter 13. And we know that things did not go well in Egypt, and so now he's leaving. Abram has experienced failure, and we're going to see how he deals with it and observe how he sings Andre's song, Take Me Back. So please, as you read, it's important that you pay attention to every word. Grab every little word. As you're reading, I wonder what he's going to say about that, okay? So Genesis chapter 13, read it with gusto, please. So Abram. AI. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. You may be seated. Thank you for reading this morning. I think it's just a, a structural note here that at this point of his life, he's still known as Abram. We know his cha- name is going to change to Abraham, and his wife is not Sarah yet. She's, she's Sarai. If I mess up on that, please give me a measure of forgiveness today because it's easy to call him by the name that we are, know them better as. Canaan is the land of promise that God had promised to Abram, and it was the place to where God had led him. But Egypt was the place that Abram took off toward on his own, and it was his mistake, it was his failure, and it was his undoing. The first thing I want you to see from the Scripture is, the Scripture says that when he left Canaan, he went down to Egypt. I find this in chapter 12. Abram went down to Egypt. Say the word down. God had promised to bless him in Canaan, but he went down to Egypt. May I just say by way of reminder this morning that any and everywhere away from God is, that's right, anywhere away from God's blessing, anywhere away from God's will, away from God's plan, his protection, his provision, it is all For Abram, when he went down to Egypt, everything went sour on him. He lied. 
He said Sarai was his sister when she was really his wife, and then he told Sarai to lie about it also, and he said, when they ask you if you are my wife, tell them you are my sister so that then they will allow me to live because of their interest in you. You see, the scripture says, doesn't just say she was a beautiful woman, it says she was a very beautiful woman, and the men of Egypt would have killed Abram just to have access to Sarai. That's why he lied about her. That's why he told her to lie about it as well. And then Abram uh, got in got Pharaoh in trouble when Pharaoh then took Sarai to be his wife. I'm not sure how all that worked out, but it looks like it's a mess to me. When God saw it, saw what had happened, what did God do? He sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his entire household. Pharaoh, having discovered what had happened, called Abram in and he figured out why all this bad stuff's happening to him. He said, why did you get me in trouble with God by lying to me, telling me that Sarai is your sister when really she's your wife? So Abram's lie not only brought him down, also brought his wife down, and then others were affected by his dishonesty. Things did not go well for Abram in Egypt. And when he then left Egypt, he took something with him that he had not brought with him. He took Hagar with him. How many know that didn't work out too well either? We know that Hagar caused trouble in Abram's life between between him and Sarai and with God. Church, please remember, young people, please, please, please remember, whenever you go away from God's will and God's plan for your life, whenever you go down to Egypt to get away from God's will, you will always go. But there's good news today. I'm delighted to tell you this morning that for the child of God, No failure that you experience in life needs to be fatal or final. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that promise that you and I need is essentially given to us in the very first six words of the text that you read this morning to me when you said, so Abram went up from Egypt. And I'm so glad to be able to say that you may be in a place where you feel as though you have fallen out of grace with God. You may find yourself in a place of disaster with life circumstances, but it most certainly is possible for the wandering saint to return to the place of blessing and favor of God. Somebody ought to say hallelujah to that today. You may have gone down to Egypt, but you can get up and go to Canaan. Hallelujah. Well, that sounds great, Pastor Dan. How do I do that? Well, I'm glad you've asked because there are certain requirements which I glean from this passage that must be met before you can get to that place of blessing of God. But just first, let's talk about how you got to Egypt because that's important. I'm sure that most of us, if we're truly honest, can testify that there have been times in our lives when we went down to Egypt. There are times when we walk out of the will of God for our lives. We find ourselves in places that we have no business being there. We find ourselves involved in in things that we have no business being involved in. And you've learned your lesson that whenever you walk away from God's plan, you always go down. And I have to say, even as I 
look across this congregation this morning, I can hear the silent testimonies of those in this room who have gone down to Egypt, if you will, but God has blessed you to come back up again. Is that anybody's testimony in the house today? My pastor used to say, if you fall down, get back up, but get back up with your face toward Jesus. And remember this, if today I knock you down, that's my fault. But if we come back next Sunday and you're still down, that's your fault. Your failure does not have to be final. Your failure does not have to be fatal. And you are not the only person who has experienced failure. We all have. I'm going to be honest enough to tell you that the most important lessons I've learned in life have come through my failures rather than any successes. I can count far more failures than I can successes. And the important lessons, the things that have been the most building in my life came from my failures. Do I have a witness in the house today? But let's talk about that experience of what happens when you've fallen because before you can get back to the place of promise, back to where God wants you to be in the place that you should have never left in the first place, there are some requirements which must be met. The road home requires removing. Would you say that for me, please? When you went down to Egypt, you went down, but in order to get out of Egypt, you have to remove some stuff. If you find yourself in Egypt today, I'm talking to you, and what I'm saying is there's some stuff you've got, you've got to remove. Let's consider Abram's situation from our text. First of all, Abram had to remove himself. Abram had to remove his person. He had to get himself out of Egypt. And I want to correlate that with the, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. How many grew up here in that verse preached a lot? Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. That's the same idea as what's being required of Abram. He has to get himself out of Egypt. You will never be all that God intends you to be until you separate yourself from that which you are in today. Do I need to say that again? You will never be all that God intends you to be until you separate yourself from that which you are in today. Abram had to remove himself personally from Egypt, and that's exactly where some of us need to start today. You may be sitting at church service at 4700 North Beach in Fort Worth, Texas on May 15, 2022, but you're in Egypt, and you know it, and you need to remove yourself. Hebrews 12 says, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. You probably have a version that says that sin which so easily besets us. Folks, it's easy to get tangled up in Egypt. It's easy to lose how you were raised when you found yourself in Egypt. It's easy to get away from how you were brought up when you go down to Egypt because now you're talking like an Egyptian, you're living like an Egyptian, you're acting like an Egyptian, 
You look like an Egyptian, and that old stuff is probably not going to die on its own. That's why you have to come out of Egypt. You have to remove yourself from Egypt. Because if you stay in it, you'll eventually go back to it, all of it. Hear me, Bethesda, please. If you don't bind the strong man, this is what the scripture says, if you do not bind the strong man, demons seven times stronger will come and occupy your house. You think you've got it bad now, precious? It's nothing compared to what's going to happen if you do not bind the strong man and get yourself out of Egypt. Would you like me to find something else to preach this morning? I got an iPad full of sermons. I can find something else if you're not going to. You're living with who? Why? You're doing what? Why? Get out of Egypt. Remove yourself out of Egypt. If you don't get yourself out of Egypt, you'll go from addiction to addiction. You can't stay in it and be delivered from it. You can't stay in it and be delivered from it. Is there an amen in the house today? Everyone here this morning, if you are honest, you know what your Achilles heel is. And not only do you know what your Achilles heel is, but Satan knows what your Achilles heel is as well. And be sure of it. Satan's not going to tempt you with that which doesn't tempt you. That which you don't have a problem with. But he knows exactly what to tempt you with. He knows what will trip you up. He knows what will ensnare you. That's why we must walk with the Lord because he keeps you from the snare of the fowler. Abram had to remove his person from Egypt. And then Abram had to remove his possessions from Egypt. We find it right here in verse 2 of our Genesis 13 text. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He's got to leave Egypt. He needs to get back to the place of promise, back to the place of blessing. That means he had to remove all that he had out of that place. So he took his wife, Sarai. He took his nephew, Lot. He took all of his cattle all of his livestock, he took his silver and his gold, and he removed all of his possessions. Many Christians today claim to live for the Lord, but they spend their resources in worldly pursuits. It's going to get fun here for about five minutes. And then my popularity is going to pick up a little bit more in about ten minutes, maybe. Because, folks, not only does God want your person, God wants your purse. Here we go. It's gotten very quiet in here. Very, very, very quiet. God does not only want you personally, but he wants your possessions. Because if you spend more on worldly stuff than you do on kingdom stuff, then the fact is clear, God does not have your person. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I just have to tell you, at any time I stand before this congregation and then I get the privilege of interacting with you in the the middle of the week or sometime during the course of the week, I realize that how blessed I am as a pastor 
that I'm talking to people who know the word, who believe the word, who are living the word, who are living lives of dedication and devotion. I got a text this week from, I, don't, I haven't seen her yet if she's here, I think she is, uh, one of our fine, fine members. And I don't remember all the circumstances and I, I wouldn't tell them if I did, but, but she received an incredible financial blessing this week. And it was a substantial amount of money, at least it was to me for sure. And, um, and she was just thanking God. She wanted her pastor to know that God had just, it was, it was, it was not expected as I recall. Um, she, at least it certainly wasn't expected now and maybe not at all. And she was just so, so thrilled with God's, with God's provision and what he had done. And, and then, so we had a little bit of a text exchange and then she went quiet for just about a minute and all of a sudden, here's the last text that came. She said, but first, the tithe. And I'm telling you, that tithe check would be hard to write, okay? Because it's a lot of money. But she said, but first, the tithe. And can I tell you, as I read that, I thought, I hadn't even thought, I hadn't even thought about that. I suppose I should be. I should have, but I, I, didn't, I, didn't even, I didn't even think about that. And then I thought, you know what? Because there are people within Bethesda who know what devoted living is. They know how to, li- how to live the word. And she understands this as much as anybody that I know. And I know I'm not supposed to read this one verse out of the Bible, but I'm gonna read it anyway. <laughs> Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. You may stop so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. This is the word of the Lord. This isn't Dan's word. Put me to the test, God says. And then Luke chapter six, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. By the way, this is a great time for me to say to you, I don't know what you give to the church. I don't know. I don't even know if you give to the church. And it is such a blessing to be able to pastor without even ever giving that a thought. I just want you to know that's the way we operate here. So I can freely say to you, just always remember that you cannot outgive God. Who's got a testimony to that today? There are plenty of people in this room who can testify to that truth. The more you give, the more God gives back to you. Listen, I'm not saying this to you because I'm trying to get something from you. I'm saying this because I'm trying to get something to you. I'm trying to get the blessing of God to you. Could you just say amen, make me feel a little better? I'm trying to help you get God's blessing on your life. Because if God has your person, then he has your purse. And if God does not have your purse, he does not have your person. That's the truth. Notice the scripture does not say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. That's not what it says. But where your treasure is, that's where your is going to be. What you love is what you spend your money on. 
I spent a lot of money on that right there. <laughs> and I just told you why I do it. I do love you, Becky Sue. 47 years. <clears throat> Let me tell you one of the reasons. First of all, because she's gorgeous and beautiful and always looks incredible, in my opinion. Not only that, but this woman knows how to squeeze a nickel better than anybody you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> she can scrutinize that bill when it comes in. And what, you spent, what, $3.76 on what? And this, she can squeeze a nickel, and I'm, I wouldn't have it, have it any other way. If God has your person, then God has your purse. Abram left Egypt. Not just with himself, but he left with his possessions. Sarai, Lot, his cattle, his livestock, his silver and gold, and all his possessions. God had his person. God had his possessions. But there was something else that Abram had to remove. When Abram removed himself from Egypt, when he removed his possessions, he also took with him his potential. Can you say that word? You must get your person out of Egypt. We talked about that. You must get your possessions from Egypt, but you must also get your potential out of Egypt. Where am I finding this in the text? Right here in verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife. Listen to me, because in Sarai was God's promise. Now, you'll recall, Abram and Sarai concocted a plan to help God keep his word. Do you hear the absurdity in that statement? They concocted a plan to help God. Can I just say this to you, precious? God does not need your help to bless you. Stop asking God to bless what you are doing, and you learn how to do what God is blessing. Stop asking God to bless your plans and you determine to get in God's way. I mean it. God is simply going to bless you when you know how to get in the way. When you read the New Testament, Jesus was going somewhere and someone got in the way. That woman with the issue of blood, Jesus had no intention of meeting her that day. That wasn't his, his plan. That wasn't in his daytime or that morning, as I recall. He was on his way to the house of Jairus. But that woman just got in the way. Honestly, there are some blessings to, that come to you when you learn how to get in the way. Some good things will start to happen to you if you just hang around where good stuff is going on. When you hang around godly people, you know what? Godly stuff will just fall on you because you've learned how to get in the way because you know what it is to be in the right place at the right time. Get your potential out of Egypt and get it into the land of promise. That's certainly my testimony. It was in Northern Missouri camp meeting in 1973. I was traveling with... Um, couple of brothers that were from the church my dad had pastored up in northwest Iowa. We had a gospel group, a, a, a trio. We were pretty good, weren't we? We were good. Those boys could sing for sure. And uh, we've been asked to provide all the music for the camp meeting of the Northern Missouri District in the summer of it was August of uh, 1973. And I just, you know, we got our 
little nifty outfits on that we wore to sing in, and, and we got our sound system all set up. We did what we did. It was, it was time for, to meet with the folks that were meeting for prayer. We did that, went straight to the service, and I'm standing over on the side of the platform, and up strutted to the piano the most beautiful woman I had ever seen in my life. And she sat down there, and she ripped that piano from one end to the other. And in my mind, I went, my, 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 my. I'm in the right place at the right time. <laughs> and a year later, I married that gal, and I'm still married to her today. <laughs> right place at the right time. Five years later, she was still with me five years later. <laughs> Amazing. And we both had felt, before we had even met each other, we both had felt a calling to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And then when we uh, developed our relationship, we learned that that was something we had in common. We felt that God one day would, each of us, that we would live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We were given a, uh, a chance to have a uh, candidating position on the other side of the Metroplex. It was all perfect. Everything was wonderful. Everything was terrific. Uh, they did everything right. Fabulous pastor and his wife. Except the problem was, in both of our hearts, God said no. I'm just glad at 24 years old we knew the no of God as well as his yes. We knew God said, said no, and we didn't have a reason. We'd, it was the most embarrassing phone call I've ever had to make in my life. I couldn't give a reason why our answer was no. We just knew the answer was no, and two weeks later, we get a call from Big John Hall to come to a place called Northside Assembly of God Church with the most horrible orange carpet you've ever seen in your life <laughs> and the most horrible orange robes to match. Not rust, sun-kissed orange, orange. And we came here, and it was not perfect. In fact, it was a mess, Mary Evans. It was, it was a mess. Everything about it was a mess. And I, I, even, I had come before Becky did, I, and I got on the phone. I said, don't even get on the plane. Come down here. I'm coming back home. This is not, this, this can't possibly be it. And then I had a lunch with Pastor Des Evans that changed my life forever. And all of a sudden, this heart began to hear the sound of the divine Yes. And I, ha I heard a yes that's lasted 44 years. This last week, Becky and I have been here 44 years. It didn't look like the right place. It didn't look like the right time. But God said, this is the right place and this is the right time. And he put the sound of the divine yes within our hearts. I've had a 40-year music career that I have not deserved and do not deserve and I don't do near what I used to do. I'm still doing some, but it's all because God placed me in the right place at the right time. Did I have the training for it? No. Did I deserve to be standing in front of the finest world-class musicians? No. But God put me in the right place at the right time. Learn how to get in the way. We've spent our lives being told, get out of the way. I was told that when I was a kid by my sister, by my mom, and they, get out, just get out of the way. Dan, you're always in the way. Today, I'm proud of the fact that I know how to get in the way. And some of you I know, know the word enough to know what it means to be people of the way. You can correlate that any way you want to correlate that. But I'm glad I know how to get in the way. Is there anybody in the house this morning that needs a blessing? Then get in the way. Turn to your neighbor and say, get in the way. Jesus gives a parable in Luke 18 of a widow and the unjust judge. Luke chapter 18 is a parable Jesus gives. She went before the judge every morning 
and every evening to plead her case. And the judge finally decided he was going to have to do something for her, for this woman, or she was going to wear him slap out. It's worded a little different than King James. (laughs) Jesus explains then, if an unjust, ungodly judge can answer a widow because she just keeps on pressing in, then let me just tell you, you just ask and it shall be given unto you. You just seek and you shall find. You just knock and the door will be opened unto you. And that doesn't mean to ask one time, but you ask and keep on asking. Learn how to get in the way. That doesn't mean to seek one time. No, seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And listen, church, if you'll stay there long enough in prayer and in supplication, if you'll get in God's way, he will pour out a blessing on you that you cannot even contain. In Sarai was Abram's potential. He tried to use Hagar to hurry God, but the potential was in Sarai. Get your potential out of Egypt. Get it to the promised land. The road home requires removing, but the road home requires returning. I've just arrived at point number two. I only have 12 this morning. Here's the truth. You can remove from Egypt but never return to Canaan. It is possible that you can do everything I've said so far this morning. You can remove from Egypt, but never return to Canaan. What do I mean by that? Let me say it a little more graphically, and this is going to rankle a few of you. It is entirely possible to repent and still not be saved. It's entirely possible to change. What is repent? Changing your mind. Turning around. It is entirely possible to change your mind and turn around but never get back to God. You can repent. You can be sorry. You can change your ways and never, get, never be saved. Because there is much more to salvation than simply turning from something. You have to turn to something. I hope that sinks in by three o'clock this afternoon with some of you. We have come from death to life because we have turned to the Savior. The road home to Canaan requires returning. And look at where Abram returned to. I find it in verse three of our text. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. He should have never left there. He never should have gone down into Egypt because God had promised to bless him in Canaan. But when he came home, he came, when, came, when he came back to the place of God's blessing, he went back to where he was in the beginning. He went to Bethel. The name Bethel means house of God. He returned to the place where God had previously worked in his life. Now, I want you to hear me carefully this morning. The Lord will always be found in the place where you last left him. Remember when Joseph and Mary left the feast of the Passover in Jerusalem to return to their hometown of Nazareth? And the scripture says that they traveled a day's journey before they realized that the 12-year-old Jesus was no longer with them. I've always questioned the sense of that, but I just have to take the word 
But they traveled a day's journey before they realized that Jesus was not with them. They looked for him with the relatives and the acquaintances, but they could not find him. Then they recalled the last place that they left him. Listen to me, listen to me. Which was in the temple in Jerusalem talking to the teachers. It took them one day to realize they didn't have him, but it took them three days to find him. It's always easier to go down without him and harder to go up to find him. Because Jesus is not always where you think he is. He's he's not always in whom you think he is. But the good news is you can find him where you left him last. If you don't feel the presence and favor of God in your life today, if you are thirsty and hungry and don't understand why your relationship with Christ has become dulled and less interesting for you, guess what? God didn't move. You moved. You stepped out of the way. You stepped out of the will of God. And whenever you step down from God's will, you step away from God's blessing. Always remember that. You cannot step down from the will of God and expect his blessing. It doesn't matter what your plans are. It does, and listen, folks, when I'm preaching to you, this is what Dan's dealing with all the time. Doesn't matter what your plans are. And I've concocted some pretty great plans in my life. It doesn't matter what your will is. God is not going to bless you outside his will for, for your life. Now, you can go on and do it. Go on and do your plan. But you have to go without God's blessing if you're okay with that. I don't recommend it. Abram returned to the place where God had sent him. Canaan represented the perfect will of God. What you are returning to matters. You may be removing yourself from what you are returning to matters. And you need to be sure that you are getting up with your face toward the Lord. Can you say hallelujah? When you are in the perfect will of God, the road home requires removing, requires returning, and lastly, it requires renewal. Most important thing I have to say, the road home requires renewal. Abram came back. You read it. But, and not just to Bethel, but he came back to the altar. That's what he came back to. Pastor Dan, what's, what's the altar? It's the place that you have designated to meet God. It's a special place designated to meet God. Well, I thought God is omnipresent. He's anywhere and everywhere at all times. Yes, that's true. That is true. But the Bible makes reference many times to God's faithful people building an altar, particularly when they had experienced a divine encounter with God, that they built an altar. Now, when I was a kid, we called the front of the church the altar. We actually had wooden altars across the front. Anybody else have that in the church you grew up in? We spent many hours lingering at, lingering at, kneeling at the altar, just waiting on the Lord. I was raised in a Pentecostal church. I know what it is to be stumped on by high heels while I was waiting in the altar. (laughs) We've been encouraging those who come on Sunday night to pray with us to come to the altar, which can be found 
around the front. It's basically we're around the front. You know, church, I pray we don't lose our understanding of the altar. I don't think it needs to become something legalistic for us. I don't think it needs to be something that we uh, put hard and fast rules to. My goodness. But the ability to come to the place that you have designated to meet the Lord. You can build an altar in your house. But I love the fact that at the church we can have a designated place. And I just want to welcome you as your pastor. I want you to know that these altars, it could be these steps, kind of the area on the side over there is a natural, um, kind of a natural place for kneeling, the front rows. They are always open in this house and they will always be open because there's something about getting up from where you're sitting particularly if God has moved upon your heart and something has been ignited within you. There's something about literally the the act of getting up from where you are and coming to the front and meeting the Lord at the altar. Because you know what? Abram knew he needed to get to the altar. There was no altar in Egypt. There was not a place for worship in Egypt. There was no place of praise. That's why Abram knew he needed to get to the altar. At the altar, there's sacrifice. At the altar, there's repentance. At the altar, there's surrender. At the altar, there's thanksgiving. Has God done something incredible for you this week? At the altar, there's thanksgiving. At the altar, there's forgiveness, thank God. At the altar, there's supplication. At the altar, is a, it's a great place for praise. It's a magnificent place for worship. Get back to the altar. All of these things are important. When you come to church, you should bring a sacrifice. You should come with a repentant heart, all of us. We should come with surrender. We should come with thanksgiving. We should come in supplication. But let me tell you how Abram could come in praise and worship when he had been in Egypt and he had walked through this process that I've put you through the last few minutes. Abraham experienced the renewal of his first love because our text tells us that at the altar, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. You've heard that phrase, first love. You know the book of Revelation says of the church of Ephesus that they had lost their first love. Here's reality. If God is not your first love, then the altar will be an unknown place to you. But if God is your first love, then you will be very familiar with and comfortable with the altar. So today, the road home requires removing removing yourself, removing your possessions, removing your potential. The road home requires returning. It's more than turning away from something. It's turning back to the Lord. The road home requires renewal. Finding an altar of prayer, finding an altar of intercession and supplication. If God is your first love, then you'll find yourself at the altar. Would you stand with me, please?